decades spending mass focused on alleviating poverty. British public's trust in charities is declining. Funding pressures are increasing. Technologies like blockchain are revolutionising our work. The SDGs are crucial to ensuring no one is left behind. Power is shifting to the global south. The Bondcast, exploring the debates in international development. Hello and welcome to the Bondcast. Only 1% of official aid and even less humanitarian assistance goes directly to local organisations in developing countries or the global south. Despite our commitment to sustainable and locally-led development, international NGOs have still not redressed the imbalance of power, resources and funds that exist between northern NGOs and southern civil society organisations. Within the international NGO sector, we've been talking about localization, resourcing and shifting the power for a while. So why have we not made progress in supporting and empowering those organizations that can best help the people in their communities? Is there a fundamental problem within the INGO system and its complicated funding dynamics? We've brought together experts from both sides of the system to discuss these pertinent questions and talk through how INGOs can support true localization. Firstly, we have Bolor Lajim, Programs Director at the Mongolia Women's Fund, who is calling in from Mongolia. Hello. Secondly, we have Dani Sri Sakaranja, the Chief Executive of Oxfam GB. Hi, Zoe. Lastly, we have Jenny Richmond, a Social Impact Strategy Consultant and former Head of International Grants at Comic Relief. Hi, good to be here. So, let's set the scene. What are the power dynamics that exist between NGOs and southern civil society organizations? I'm going to put that question first to Bolo. Thank you. Um, well, this discussion of unequal power dynamics between INGOs and local organizations is something not new and that existed for years or even decades, at least uh, speaking from my perspective in my country. And this uh, unequal power dynamics created the division us versus them, where the general approach is more about competing, criticizing, blaming each other. And from my perspective, this is not the case that we all uh, work for. I work for a women's fund and I work with women's funds in Mongolia and I work with women's funds from global north and we are a part of a global women's funding movement. There are some power dynamics in this movement, but they are far less and what I'm talking about here are more about power dynamics that lie outside of this movement. So um, speaking, of, speaking of INGOs, first of all, what I see is that they have more access to information, resources, expertise, and they have more resources, both financial and human, to, to attract funding. So as we all know, money comes with power and uh, therefore... INGOs have power. They have power to choose issues they want to work on. They have power to choose local partners. They have power to choose approach and methods of working on those chosen issues. And above all, they have power to make decisions. When it comes to um, local organizations like us, INGOs in many cases see us as subcontractors and not partners, and that makes 
the situation very different. Um, however, based on my experience, I would like to break down the notion of INGOs. There are two types of INGOs. First is uh, those who operate from global north. And the second one is those INGOs who have local offices in the country. And when I look at power dynamics for these two types of INGOs, I see some differences. For those INGOs that operate from global north, by the very fact that they are located far from the country, they have less information and less awareness about the local context, existing issues and possible solutions. However, there is a tendency to set the goals and objectives, which are based on funding requirements rather than on local context, needs and opportunities. And for those INGOs that have local offices, by the fact that um, those INGOs are based in the country, they tend to see themselves as experts, which further contributes to the division as versus them regardless of the overall objective or goal that, as I mentioned before, both sides stand for. Another thing um, that relates to power dynamics, these INGOs that are located in the country, they tend to abuse local organizations by giving them the major share of work, however, with unfair share of funding. So from the perspective of South-based organizations, it creates an ongoing conflict. Either local NGOs or local civil society organizations have to comply with this power relationship that INGOs set, or they have to uh, stand firm and criticize and blame INGOs, mostly for irrelevant or unfair approach. Thanks, Bolo, for that great insight. I'm now going to turn to you, Danny. Uh, well, I think it's important to recognise, as, as Bolo has, that this is, has been a, a sort of persistent frustration within the development sector for decades, that, you know, in, in some ways we've not just replicated some of those worst aspects of the, of the power imbalances that we see in the world, but we've made them worse. So, you know, some of what, what Bolo re- uh, describes is not just because it's a, it's a sort of northern actor coming up against southern actors, but it's also about big NGOs with you know with systems and processes and human resources and profile and brand coming into contact with often smaller, newer, weaker bits of civil society. So we've got the sort of north-south dynamic plus the big small dynamic, which in the development sector is accentuated because, of course, over the last few decades we've had a growth in very large INGOs that are truly global, that have scale. So the sort of David and Goliath scenario is sort of made worse. And I think the the good news is that certainly over the last few years, I've been heartened by the level of, of recognition of some of the, the contradictions that we've walked into or walked, slept, walked into. And there are, I think, good promising signs that people are starting to do something about uh, about some of these challenges. Yeah, I I agree with um, both of those those comments. I think it's also interesting to reflect on why we found ourselves in this situation. And obviously, there's some sort of deep structural parameters um, to how the INGO system works. Um, Some of that is historical. You know, it's a sort of post-colonial system. It's a system that has been set up in a sort of a different era, if you like. And I think the interesting conversation today is to think about how it might reforge and be reimagined for the future. 
But it's also a system that is fundamentally hooked into resources. I guess the the structural levers that that determine how uh, different actors within the aid system work at the moment are actually heavily linked into, you know, how the funding flows, um, where it goes to, who who is trusted, and and who sort of can give the the level of delivery and reporting, and you know, and all of that system has fed into and and reinforce some of these structural and power um, uh, differentials, which Bolo has has articulated really, really clearly. I think it has been recognised, as Danny says, um, by a number of different actors in the system, but I don't think that system has changed yet. It's still deeply entrenched and there isn't an alternative out there, although there's some brilliant practice, actually, among some funders and among some I, uh, INGOs and among some sort of collaborations being led by um, Southern civil society actors who are really disrupting some of that. So that's really exciting and really positive, and I think we should look at how to build on that and, and um, reinforce or sort of take it forward. I also see the changing in the relationship and power dynamics, and there are some good signs and uh, for both INGOs that operate from North, uh, Global North and for uh, INGOs that have local offices. And uh, these changes that are happening is bringing um, good hope and uh, increasing our commitment to build the relationship. So what exactly is the role of funding in this relationship that we've just talked about and the power dynamics and what are the specific challenges? Funding flow comes with an agenda, whether it is a strategy for an INGO or a plan for a particular project. And this agenda in many cases have um, insufficient, I wouldn't say irrelevant, but totally irrelevant, but have insufficient connection to the local context. And especially when we think about social changes that are long lasting and bring actual impact. So this is my biggest concern. And the other point uh, I wanted to bring up here is lack of uh, accepting local initiatives. And um, what we see as a negative consequence when these big NGOs or big INGOs come to work with local organizations is that they divert local organizations from their missions because funding brings agenda and willingly or unwillingly INGOs impose these agendas on local organizations. And lastly, in many cases, INGOs contribute to the existing power structure because of the funding. And by this, I particularly mean patriarchal system that is uh, very strong in many developed countries, including Mongolia. And it happens through seeing gender equality as one of the requirements or criteria of funding and not as a framework that is adopted in general approach uh, of an INGO or a particular project that INGO is funding. And as as a result... Uh, Collaboration is based on involving more men than women. Or there is another approach uh, by seeing gender equality as bringing equal number of women, but not considering their actual participation in decision-making processes. And this approach contributes to increasing the gap, the already existing gap between men and women. Um, Another one is a risk of producing short-lived results because 
fundings come with a certain time frame, two years, three years, five years. And um, unless they are well connected to the local context, involve local actors in the decision-making processes, these projects may not produce the results that an INGO is willing to bring. As I have seen in my country, many projects designed and run by INGOs leave little legacy in communities they work with. Thanks, Bolo. It's really interesting to hear your points on how the programmatic approaches to funding and how that impacts long-term sustainability and the role of local civil society. So it'd be really interesting to pick that up with you, Danny. Well, while I was listening to Bolo, it reminded me of a, a conversation recently. Oxfam's doing a strategic planning process and we're we're inviting a whole bunch of people through something called Open Oxfam to tell us about Oxfam. And I met an anti-apartheid uh, activist from the 1980s from South Africa recently who said, oh, you know, I used to love Oxfam because you're one of the few organizations who in the 1980s would just bring bags of cash. You'd smuggle bags of cash and just hand it over to struggle activists. Um, and because you knew that, you know, we needed to have cash to buy stuff and do stuff. And she goes, you know, but today I can't think that any INGO in the development sector would have the guts to smuggle bags of cash to give activists on no, you know, with no strings attached, literally, um, funding. And, you know, it was such a good example of how over the last couple of decades in particular, I think we've, you know, for a bunch of very sensible reasons, built up all sorts of systems and processes for resource allocation and accountability but the downside of that has been this, you know, this compliance regime, log frameitis, you might call it, the disease that has swept the development sector, that has further entrenched uh, the, the imbalances in the development sector. And money may trickle down, and we may have good systems to ensure that it does so quickly, efficiently, accountably, but power doesn't trickle down. And I think that's the fundamental tension at the heart of the, the north-south, big, small um, relationship that we're talking about. And money, in, in many ways, not always, but in many ways is at the heart of that tension. And it's a blessing and it's a disguise because we know we need the resources to fund the sorts of things that we want to get done. But with it comes this sort of terrible downside or terrible set of risks. Yeah, and if I might just um, add to that, I think funding and funders and you know, whether they be INGOs or they be institutional funders or whether they be independent family foundations, have the ability, because they have the resource, they have the ability to actually shape and influence and and sort of lead the sector. So I guess my point to add to, to what um, Danny and Bolo have already said is that actually there's great potential here for funders to be really quite creative and innovative and, and challenging to the rest of us who are doing um, sort of more of the implementational work. Yeah, so I think, it, A, I would like to sort of broaden the emphasis out from just INGOs being the baddies, because I think actually that's a bit of a, you know, it, we, it's not the whole story. And also maybe encourage funders and those with resources to think about how they can be most helpful, disruptive, and sort of leading in terms of shaking up um, some of the power imbalances. Because as Danny says, as soon as, you know, the the system is working in a in a more extractive way or an overly bureaucratic bureaucratic way, you know, that is exclusionary to many actors and then many actors who are actually more on the front line of doing the the social change and and the activism um, 
and taking the risks as well. And that was another point I wanted to to flag, how the system is working at the moment. The risk is is sort of devolved and and sort of shunted, you know, down the chain or along the chain. And, and it doesn't necessarily come with the solidarity or the resource that um, is justified to sort of support those who are really working in tough places and and taking that risk for the rest of the, the sort of industry and the funding chain behind them. So I think that needs to be recognised as well. Well, isn't that it? Power imbalance. It's, it's sort of doubly worse, you know, listening to you talk. It's, it's not only is risk devolved sort of down, down this pipeline, if you will, but then decision making, you know, the setting of the agenda, as Bolo says, is done further upstream. So, you know, just at a time when you should have such great opportunities for participation, for people to shape the agenda, decisions are still being made in in Seattle or in London, not in Dakar or Kinshasa. And the strategies being formulated at the funder level, sort of where the, where the funds sort of originate and the strategies being developed at the INGO level and all of those is a bit of a dance. And then I think... Uh, local organisations or national organisations or activists and grassroots movements often find themselves sort of slightly on the receiving end of all that fluctuating strategic thinking. And actually, because of the way that the project funding model is is shaped, having to sort of morph and, and be chameleons and try and pick up issues to sort of fit into funding bids and co- consortia that aren't necessarily what they feel their priorities are. I don't know if that um, chimes with you, Bola, but that's something I heard in, in a recent piece of work I did with Civicus, actually, on funding to the grassroots movements. I just wanted to echo what Danny mentioned about the appreciation. Actually, despite all the uh, debates that go on for years or decades, we feel that the uh, locally based organizations, local organizations, actually, we feel that INGOs are the closest, are the ones that we can talk and we can communicate and we can discuss and even debate. And we appreciate the willingness and we also appreciate the funding that INGOs bring because if not for INGOs, uh, there is a very big chance that this funding will not come at all or it will come through bilaterals or multilaterals which will come with far more stringent requirements for paperwork, for plans, for anything. Yeah, it sounds like there needs to be, well, this is the start of the conversation, but it sounds like there just needs to be more conversations between all the different stakeholders, the donors, the larger donors, bilateral donors, NGOs and local organisations. And we, you know, we hope that conversations like this will help stimulate more conversations so that we can help move the system along slowly. Well, hopefully quickly. And also, well, I'm listening to Bola, I was thinking, well, you know, but my, an Oxfam's aspiration, I hope, is not just to be a little bit less bad than the others. <laughs> uh, we, I hope we can be much, much better. And maybe just to add to that, I think we have to, whichever point in the system we are working, whether individually or as institutions, we need to proactively um, plan to shift power. Um, proactively plan to do ourselves out of a job or to, you know, transition um, relationships and and to keep things moving forward. Because, you know, we have been talking about this shift in power and local-led development for many, many years. And obviously the conversation has evolved. Um, and now we have great things like the grand bargain target of, of 25% um, spending through you know two local NGOs by 2020. And, and other sort of 
shifts and and um, uh, steps forward. But really, progress isn't good enough. Um, and we all need to take responsibility for that. And hopefully this will help contribute to that conversation. But we need to push it a little bit further. Um, I'd be keen to move on now to discuss um, what you all think the ne- negative consequences of some of these top-down north-south funding flows that we've just discussed are on local sustainable development in developing countries. Um, Bola, I'll go to you again online. My first point is on core funding. And uh, I am very... Um, I feel very strong about bringing this issue here in this space um, because core funding is something that is really important. And however, we see that core funding is something that INGOs have not provided to the extent that would help us build our capacity. For whatever reason, INGOs prefer funding of project activities with very measurable, feasible, uh, tangible results, outputs, outcomes, and allocate minimal resources to core organizational costs, and uh, in particular for salary. As a result, local organizations are not able to hire and retain professionals they need. And in many instances, they have to rely on almost pro bono work of these professionals, which is not sustainable. I've seen many cases when young professionals start working in local organizations, but move to work for INGOs, bilaterals and multilaterals, which means we lose these professionals and uh, we lose their capacity, we lose their knowledge and skills. Another one is about uh, space. And funding goes through INGOs, and as it has been mentioned several times, in many instances, INGOs give little space for various reasons to local organizations, whether it is space for financial management, decision-making on solutions, even representation. So local organizations lack opportunities for institutional organizational capacity building. Uh, for example, if a local organization has an annual budget of £100,000 or less, uh, which is often the case, it is not able to build its capacity to absorb and manage £300,000 of funding when such opportunity comes. So sharing the financial responsibility builds the, builds the capacity and contributes to the opportunity for those organizations to access resources independently or jointly with INGOs. And the last one is the lack of consultation. And um, I'm repeating myself, but this is a very important point. Consultation takes place once funding is already approved. And once the funding is approved, there is little room for changes as far as I know. However, from what I know, INGOs have good heart and commitment to bring changes so it is crucial to consult to, on how, what are the changes uh, INGOs want to bring, what are the possibilities for bringing these changes. INGOs have much more resources than, than we do. And again, we appreciate your attention and your commitment. And it is a joint interest to use this available funding, the funding that you bring, for betterment of the situation, for bringing long-lasting changes, but those won't happen unless there is a consultation. 
Yeah, that's that's really interesting thinking about how the the way that we fund is affecting all these power imbalances. And it'd be really good to hear from you, Danny, your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, look, so you use the phrase sustainable development. And normally when we think about sustainability, we think about a whole range of other things, you know, financial sustainability, environmental sustainability. But I think an equally important part of that sustainability for us in the, you know, who are interested in in sustainable development is, is having a local, robust, resilient, diverse, well-funded um, civil society. And, you know, we are not going to achieve the SDGs, for example, unless we have local actors who can lead those that transformation. And so, you know, there's a sort of a means and an end confusion sometimes, I fear, in, in, in the development sector where we see Southern civil society only as a means to another end. You know, they're the deliverers of this project or this program. Whereas I think we have to also see building a resilient Southern civil society as an end in itself. We're not going to have sustainable democracy or sustainable development in, in many parts of the world unless we pay a concerted effort to building or strengthening the, the capacity of Southern civil society. And that won't happen if we treat Southern NGOs as, as contractors at the end of a very long funding chain. Um, so I think there is a sort of shift in, in our approach that's desperately needed. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think sustainability is exactly uh, a critical issue. I think maybe just to add to what Danny said, there's also the issue of when civil society or civic space closes or changes shape um, in a country and, you know, or international organisations are, are less welcome. That's a rapid and urgent situation sometimes and, and puts that sort of sustainability issue into into really sort of sharp relief. Just coming back to the original question, Zoe, of, of sort of other um, negative consequences, I think there's also a point about voice and and representation. So thinking about the international arena and the voices that are heard on the development um, topic on on SDGs and others, you know that that needs to be fully representative of the the context and the and the countries that are um, you know going through change, which is obviously all of us. So it's it's currently dominated by international NGO voices, um, and that's another arena that that it's worth thinking about um, uh, shaking up a little. Um, I guess the other point I'd like to make is just missed opportunities and not being as good as we could possibly be. So, you know, if we stick in a sort of a, a system that is actually slightly outdated and um, is just reinforcing a status quo because, as we've described, the way the funding sort of reinforces that, then we're not going to be able to rise to the challenge of the really massive and dynamic and emergent and um, transforming challenges that we're all facing in different shapes and sizes in in um, so many places. So we've got to be fit for purpose for the next five years, um, whether being INGOs, funders or, or local civil society organisations. There's got to be that real shift and, and dynamism and innovation in the way we're working. So let's move on now. And this is the, I would say, the meat of what we're discussing or what we can do next. So I'd be keen to hear from you all on how you think international NGOs can meaningfully and practically help support localization. What ideas do you have for truly shifting the power? As I mentioned earlier, I have experienced in 2019 two very positive examples of uh, changes, you know, how, how NGOs work and something that I have not experienced in my 20 plus years of 
working in the development sector in Mongolia. And this is an environmental NGO that is located in Global North and uh, works worldwide on environmental issues. And um, it organized a strategic planning meeting and invited organizations from Global South to this meeting so that jointly we discuss and develop a strategy for this organization. This kind of engagement, you know, or this kind of conversation, consultation, eliminates the risk of agenda setting that is irrelevant or less relevant to local context. The other case is about an INGO that has an office in our country. And um, relationship with this INGO was based on the concept of partnership, where both organizations discussed what are our strengths, what are our weaknesses, how we can collaborate together. And at the end, we leveraged on each other's strengths through very open and honest conversations throughout the relationship. And it took us a lot of time to build, it, build this relationship. And at the end, our relationship, our partnership uh, was su successful. We were able to jointly get a funding, big funding. From our side, when I talk about uh, how we leveraged, from our side, uh, we were able to build uh, the awareness on gender equality as a framework and not as a criteria or an activity. And from their side, what we really appreciated, they were willing to listen, learn. And at the end, they adopted um, this as an overarching framework for the entire proposal. And um, what I see, this kind of partnership makes the impact more feasible and significant and long-lasting. Well, uh, I know that uh, the world is not going to turn upside down and funding is not going to turn its stream and won't go directly to local organizations in near future. But there is a hope um, looking at these two examples. And um, what I wanted to highlight is that this partnership, not sub subcontracting, this partnership between INGOs and local organizations is very important for both. For that, uh, what I see is this partnership should be based on the notion of equality, partnership, discussion, consultation as equal partners. Um, secondly, willingness to listen and understand, not only from uh, northern INGOs to local organizations, but also local organizations listening to INGOs, their, their um, strategies, their uh, limitations, their opportunities. Uh, so we understand each other better. And um, my third uh, point is about joint decision making. And it is not only about implementation part, but it is starting from the design part, whether it is a strategy or a proposal for a particular project. And um, lastly, it is about uh, possibility for more flexible funding. The situations change, stakeholders change, political actors change, needs change, communities change. So for the duration of a project, whether it is two years, five years, we both sides need more flexible approach on decision making. 
Thank, thanks, Bolo. That's really interesting to hear about what your areas that you think are important, such as part, real partnership, partnerships of equals, listening to each other in these joint decision makings, and then how this core funding can help back up both organisations, those based in the Global South and those based in the North as well. So it'd be really interesting to hear, Danny, if you've got any thoughts. Well, I think this goes to the heart of the of the challenge for, for many of us um, in the INGO sector. Look, I'm, I'm seven months in at, uh, at Oxfam and I get a sense that there is a, a realisation and in fact an enthusiasm amongst colleagues to try to get this right or to improve our, our game on this front. Um, and one of the ways we're trying to do that in our, as I said, we're doing our strategic planning and one question, although it's not phrased this way, that, that is, is being aired quite a bit is, when is big beautiful? What is the value add of having an international, you know, multi-country um, operation, the size and shape of an Oxfam? And I think the good news, thankfully, it's good news because I still have a job, I think, is that there is value add, you know, whether it's it's thinking about having the sort of quality assurance or the standards on, on a range of things, whether it's on finances or safeguarding. I think there is scope to have global quality assurance so that we know that we are programming safely and and delivering well. And then, of course, there's the the, the very important bit of of building global solidarity, that this is no longer just about moving money from the global north to the global south. And if we're thinking about what the world is going to look like in 10 or 20 years, and with the universal challenges that face people and planet, then we need an active civil society, for example, in the UK, as just as much as we do in, in Uganda. And I could go on. So I think, but it's really important for those of us in the INGO sector to be really clear about where we add value and therefore um, areas and, and issues and approaches where we're not clearly adding value. Um, and for me, there are, there are two elements, Bolo and, and Jenny have mentioned both at, at, at different points, that, that I think we need to look carefully at. One is the sort of the mechanics of how money moves, the funding mechanisms, and the other is around accountability. And I think there are lots of good examples of how you can move money more effectively, more thoughtfully, more impactfully, that uh, doesn't fall prey to the same frustrations that we've talked about. And you know, I, I know Bolo works for a women's movement, but I think the women's movements around the world have, have led the way through a bunch of different women's funds that, uh, that have been set up as, as participatory funding mechanisms that solve for this problem that we've discussed, which is very few funders are prepared to write big checks to small actors far away way, but they are prepared to fund uh, other instruments, fundamediaries, we might call them, um, that do that sort of funding more thoughtfully. And I think there's a, there's a sort of resource mechanics question. And the other one is around accountability. Right at the start of this podcast, Bolo said something very worrying, which is he said, you know, sometimes INGOs get local NGOs to do the bulk of the work, but pay them the least. And uh, uh, you know that's uh, I'm 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 sadly I suspect that is true in many parts of the world. But the only way we're going to solve that, I think, is if we build in better systems of accountability. That we need to give real voice to local actors, not just the local NGOs, but the communities that we work in. And if we can somehow close those feedback loops, uh, then we can hold ourselves to account for some of the the shortcomings on on the power dynamics between, say, north and south, and big and small. And of course, it goes back to then the point that Jenny was making earlier, which is 
that if funders are, are choosing to do some of, you know, are, are behaving in certain ways, then we also need to sort of include them in this sort of accountability loop as well so that we can, you know, have honest and constructive conversations about some of the shortcomings uh, in this ecosystem. Because if we don't, then we'll be back here in 20 or 30 years talking about how, how rife the sector really is with, with these sorts of imbalances. Yeah, and just to build on that, the points I wanted to make um, hook into the the points that Bola and, uh, and Danny have made. So my first being um, for INGOs to stand behind rather than in front of their their partners or you know the local um, and national civil society actors, and that is not just in terms of the funding share or the the sort of lead um, in the consortium or other sort of mechanical um, issues like that, but it's also about how they tell their story, how INGOs tell the story of change to their publics and to their, their supporters. I think that's really, really important and ripe for disruption. Um, the second was just a reflection that actually we need to all be cognizant of where we are in the system. And, and Danny mentioned the ecosystem system. I think taking a sort of systems approach to looking at how the whole thing hangs together and what it might look like in the future, really trying to reimagine, actually, as, as Oxfam sounds like it's, it's doing at the moment, reimagine what the right end shape and size and a scale of INGOs in the future might be, um, what that might look like. And, and actually, there's a few of us involved in, in well, there's a few pieces of, of thinking um, in that vein at the moment. And then the other was hooking into Danny's point on accountability. So uh, totally supporting the point about making accountability um, really rounded and bringing in people that we are working with in communities and those who really understand issues, um, of course, from from Southern Civil Society. But maybe having some hard accountability standards as well around these issues, around how you partner, around how you flow your funds, around whether you're challenging the traditional funding system and doing extractive reporting, around whether you have made a long-term commitment to your partners and you're willing to give them core funding and on what basis you're doing that and how you make your grant decisions, whether you're involving people who really understand the issues and have lived experience. So I think there's some, you know, there are some quite practical things. I have many more ideas um, <laughs> and I'm sure we could carry on the conversation on that vein of, um, of potential initiatives for a long time, but um, I'll leave it there. I just want to build on this uh, <clears throat> idea of dis- disruption. I think it is already happening and uh, it is not only happening somewhere in global north. It is happening together, you know, global north. INGOs from global north and uh, NGOs from global south are working together to break this pattern. And I think there are some examples that uh, we can learn from where there is equal partnership, there is uh, equal representation, there is, there is consultation. So I don't think this is about creating something new. It is about taking these examples and taking them further. And thank you, Danny, for bringing it up because uh, there, is a, there is a mechanism where women's funds located in Global North and in Global South, they work together. And we are a part of a global women's funding movement. And as a part of it, we are seeing that this kind of collaboration between INGOs or women's funds from Global North and uh, women's funds from Global Global South are breaking the pattern and 
big funders, they accept this partnership and they understand why this partnership is important. It's heartening to hear that there are some good examples of donors, NGOs and local organisations working together in this positive way. I hope that this inspires and pushes the conversation on further, but I'm sure you agree that there is still quite a way to go and and we still will do need to challenge um, INGOs to up their game and donors as well um, in order everyone who's part of this conversation. We're coming to the end now. Are there any last points that any of you would like to to raise or to say? (laughs) Work in progress, I think, and uh, solidarity, shift the power. Um, You know, lots of exciting initiatives out there, as as Bola suggests, both at country level and uh, at global level. So let's work together to make sure that we've got an aid system that is fit for purpose and, um, you know, suitable for the for the work that we're all committed to doing. And for me, it's, uh, you know, this is an, another example of an area where we in the development sector have to focus on the how, not just the what. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's been one of the overriding lessons, I think, for colleagues at Oxfam of our rather difficult last 18 months, which is that we can't just focus on the what, on getting things done, on delivering things, on on building things. We have to get the how right as well. And part of that how, I think, as we've discussed over over this podcast, is is making sure that we address urgently some of those contradictions and tensions within, say, the resourcing landscape or the broader power landscape uh, within our sector. That feels like a good place to end with positive thoughts for the future, but recognizing that there's a challenge. Thank you all for a really fascinating discussion. I really enjoyed it. But clearly now is the time for radical thinking and bold action on our relationship with the global south. I'd like to thank all our guests for their thought-provoking insights. At Bond's next Fundraising for Development conference, we'll be delving further into the INGO funding landscape and the funding implications for INGO's exit strategies to truly shift the power. Go to the Bond website or sign up to our newsletter for more on our conference and other insights in this area. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate or review us on your chosen podcast platform.